Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well... That's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome. This is Colleen O'Grady, the host of the Power Your Parenting Moms with Teens podcast. This is a gathering place for moms to be encouraged, nurtured, and inspired. Also, you'll learn the latest in teen research and trends and get practical parenting tips. You really can improve your relationship with your teen and enjoy the teenage years. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive help supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Welcome back, everyone, to the 170th episode of Power Your Parenting Moms of Teens podcast. I'm Colleen O'Grady, the host of the show. Before we jump into the episode today, I want to talk to all the moms who will have juniors, seniors in high school, and actually daughters through their 20s. As most of you know, on May 3rd, I released my second best-selling book, Dollop the Dream, Make Your Daughter's Journey to Adulthood the Best for Both of You. And I know May was not a great time to read a book since it is the busiest month of the year for moms. But now that your teens are out of school, this is a great summer read for the pool, the beach, the lake, or even locked in your bedroom. And it's the perfect time to reflect on where you are, get your game plan for your next step with your teen so that you can really be ready for next year. So why did I even write Dial Up the Dream? Well, Dial Up the Dream started with this question. If the prefrontal cortex isn't developed till 25, then why are teens considered legal adults at 18? Basically, the immaturity you saw and still see in your daughter when she was in high school or your son, she brings with her to college. Her immaturity doesn't go away when she graduates from high school. 
But now your daughter is on her own and having to manage her life while still being emotionally immature. This puts moms in a really confusing, ambiguous, and hard space. And here's why. Your daughter is not going to go to college and graduate and get a job and find a partner perfectly. She's going to make mistakes and sometimes really big mistakes. She's going to have setbacks. And I'm not trying to scare you. I want you to have realistic expectations. Your daughter still needs you. Okay, now for the really difficult terrain to navigate through. Your daughter's developmental stage is learning to manage her life and discover who she is. This is what she wants, but she really is like the toddler learning to walk. She will fall, pull up, walk, fall, pull up, and stumble forward. But she needs you, and she doesn't want to admit that she needs you. And when you are separated and she is in college, you often know intuitively when she needs you, even though she may not return your texts or calls, and you're left holding a big bag of anxiety. Yes, your daughter needs you, but if you are controlling, prying, or giving unsolicited advice, she can avoid you, and she will. So just like Dow Down the Drama, I give you practical advice in this book on how to successfully speak into your daughter's life so that she will hear you, and practical advice on how to keep your relationship strong. But I also do a deep dive into the mother's heart and help you navigate this difficult transition for you and normalize all the myriad of feelings that you're going to have or are having. We also dive into your next developmental step for you, mom, which is reconnecting with you so that you can dial up your own dream. Dial Up the Dream is not a fluffy book. It really is a declaration of hope when things feel out of control. It is a light to guide you through some rough terrain. It is a vision for what's possible for you and your daughter. Dial Up the Dream is now six weeks old. If you feel you are living the dream with your daughter, I'm so happy for you. I would love you to recommend this book to a mom who could use a little light or hope or validation and direction. But if you are missing your daughter and you're worried about her and not sure about what your role is, don't know what's next for you, want a better relationship with your daughter, you want to stay ahead of the game, and you want to dial up the dream for both you and your daughter, well, order this book now. All right. Today, we're going to talk about your mom's story. Our mom's story is how we evaluate and make sense of our life as a mom. Our mom's story defines our identity as a mom. Stories are how we interpret our lives. Sometimes we're not even conscious of the story we tell ourselves, but it impacts how we feel, it impacts our confidence, how we parent, and our relationship with our teens. Our mom's story can limit us and keep us stuck in shame, or it can be compassionate, validate us, empower us, and expand who we are. Today, I'm bringing back Sherry Dusan, who has been a guest host for a couple of my podcasts. 
Sherry Dusan is a Texas and an Arizona licensed marriage and family therapist in private practice and the founder and director of the Center for Postpartum Family Health in Houston, Texas. Hi, and welcome back to Power Your Parenting podcast by Colleen O'Grady. This is Sherry Dusan, once again, your guest host. And I'm going to be talking to Colleen again today about more concepts from her new book, Dial Up the Dream, Make Your Daughter's Journey to Adulthood the Best for Both of You. An excellent book, and Colleen and I have had so much fun talking about these ideas together. Today, we're going to be talking about the mom's story, which is an interesting concept. And Colleen, could you tell us a little bit about what the mom's story is all about? I would love to do that. And I am going to actually rewind the mom story to more your expertise because you work with young moms who just become mothers. So you work with the moms who are not moms, so their story has not even begun. So what is that transition like for those girls that get married, but then they have their baby and then they become the mom. So what is that transition like? Because for the moms of teenagers, like this is a long time ago. Yeah. So remind us. Yeah. I think probably one of the most important pieces is that it's a process. Sometimes we think that if we have a baby that will instantly feel like a mom. And, and I would say from many years of conversations with new moms, many will say, I don't really feel like a mom. I know I am somebody's mom now, but I don't even know what that means. I think there's a real transition that happens in terms of a person's identity. Mm -hmm. And it takes a while for that to change. It's not instant. Just because you've given birth doesn't mean that you instantly have a new identity as a mother. I think it's helpful to give kind of time and space to that and let people kind of talk about that and just allow that new identity to kind of unfold because, you know, your baby's not talking. So nobody's calling you mom. Um, maybe some people in the family or your spouse is calling you mom, but you know, it's just takes some time. So I do think that's relevant to what you're talking about as well, which is transitioning into motherhood may take a little while and transitioning out of motherhood or that identity as mother may take a while. Would you agree? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And so, just listening to you talk, I just had some flashbacks from being a new mom and there is this panic. I remember having this panic of like, oh my gosh, I can't do stuff that I like to do. Right. You know, right. I'm kind of stuck with this baby, but I'm glad to have this baby but I just am not free anymore and I can't go out and just hang out with my friends or just have the brunch on Saturday morning like I used to. Right. And if that was part of your identity, that you were free spirit, that you were spontaneous, that you like did things on the fly, you know, that's a change in identity when you can't be that anymore. You know, I don't think who you are fundamentally changed, but how you saw yourself may have changed. You know, you see it a lot around just kind of your day to day. You know, most women are working. They may have big jobs. They may have really important responsibilities. They may be very busy in their work life. And then all of a sudden they're at home with a baby and 
they're not doing the same things. And if you're getting a lot of self-esteem from how much you accomplish every day on your work to-do list and, you know, how many meetings and how many decisions you make, you know, it's, it's just a very different way of getting through your day. And so again, a lot of women will say, I'm not good at this because they haven't had any practice doing it, or I'm not cut out for this because they, they don't see themselves in this way, or that I'm super lonely, or I feel real disoriented. I don't know you know, how to succeed here. I'm so used to being a success, you know? So it's just it's a that big, is, big yeah. transition. Yeah, because now 18 years plus later, you are submerged into the mom identity. Yes. And that seems to be the priority identity. Yeah. And all those other identities that you were not wanting to let go of, you eventually kind of let go of them. And now you are just swimming in momhood. <laughs> right. And you may feel like you're pretty good at it, or you've really gotten the hang of it, or that it is completely your identity. Nothing has been more important to you than raising these children. Yes. And it has so much meaning in your life and you love them and you wouldn't change anything except then you remember all the fights and stuff and you would change those, which <laughs> so, actually, yeah, that brings us back. Yeah. So, to the mom story. Isn't this what the mom story is? Yeah. You tell yes. me what is the mom story? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The mom story is so important because does everyone have one? Everyone actually does have a mom story. And it's the story that we tell ourselves, but a lot of times we're not even really conscious of that story. And yet it is in our head all the time. And it could be a story around about, am I being appreciated? Do my kids appreciate? Am I getting the respect I need? You know, the story of my kids' success reflects on my success. Uh, the story of good mom or bad mom. Yes, that sense of anticipating what they need and kind of being there for that kind of troubleshooting role. I think yes. a lot of people feel like they get really good at, you know, that have you thought about this? Have you thought about that? That kind of yeah manager yes, yes. momager <laughs> role. yeah the momager which I call the monitor oh uh -huh, yes yeah the the 24 7 hour monitor that we are right. hurting them not hurting hurting yes. them yes. Yeah. all the time so when your teens leave the house then your story becomes like what is my story when they leave what and then you talk about identity like what is my identity when my kids leave it's really interesting, like it was a huge transition, like you said, becoming a mom and then letting go of a lot of what you used to do when they were under your roofs, which I would say is a lot of it was the monitoring mm -hmm. or the monitor. How did you say it? Momager. <laughs> the momager. <laughs> and so then what happens is this kind of unconscious story is what I call the first draft. Yeah, and the first about that. Yeah. So the first draft has gaping holes in it because it's not conscious. It's not something like we've written out and it's a coherent story. Really, the first draft is really sometimes it's a lot of negative feelings, actually. It's disappointments. 
It's expectations that didn't come through. And a lot of that turns into resentment, you know, that life didn't work out. You know, your kids go to college and your husband says, you need to make more money for our kids to go to college and you need to start working. And then you're like, you wanted me to stay home and I wanted to stay home. But then you feel like you've lost more than you gained being a mom. So you kind of go back to those feelings before you became a mom, where you're afraid to lose something. And then the first draft is like, I did lose a lot. Mm -hmm. I, you know, I quit my career. I look in the mirror, I'm 20 years older. And, you know, I was hoping that my child would appreciate me. I was hoping that they would be more successful. I was hoping that I would be happier all those frustrations of those years that you thought would eventually work itself out, it just doesn't seem like it's worked out. So the first draft is like your identity as a mother as they're leaving, as they're launching. It's almost like that identity has started to go a little stale or something. I think it's reflective of how much somebody has invested in that role and that identity of being a mother. You know, yes. Okay. Yeah. This is good. So you have a little bit more space at this point in your life. And because you have a little bit more space because they are in college, then you have more time to reflect because before you're just in the story, you're just in the first draft. Mm -hmm. And now you have some time because you're missing them. You're thinking, well, senior year was really hard. It wasn't what I was hoping it would be. I didn't like the fight when we were saying goodbye. It's just a bunch of feelings that haven't been processed. Gotcha. So is this where the big myth shows up? You talk about the big myth in your book. Is that a part of what's happening during this time? Yeah, yeah, the the big myth. Because that's the first thing that comes up is you just feel like, well, I have lost more than I have gained by being a mom. Okay. And that is the first draft. And if you don't move past that, you're going to be absolutely miserable because you're going to be just caught in resentment. And the good news is that's not the end of the story. And I go on to say that there's a second draft, but what's very, very important is that you need to know what your first draft is. Sherry used to live in Houston and I'm sure that you went to Galveston. Mm -hmm. And the Galveston water, for those who've never been to Galveston, you can't see into it. Not it usually. Is, <laughs> like you can have your hand right under the surface of the water and you can't really see your hand. It's usually churning brown water. It is churning brown water. It is yes. not beautiful Pacific water. Yes. And that is kind of what our unconscious is like. <laughs> the Galveston <laughs> beach. <laughs> the Galveston water, the churning brown water is what our unconscious is like. So it's in there. So Sherry, have you like walked in the water and then you'd like step on something in Galveston water or oh, something oh, sure. hits your leg? Yeah, yeah. Of yeah. Course. It's, and you're like, ah, what is that? <laughs> well, that is exactly what we're going to try to do in this first draft. So in my chapter, which why you want to buy this book is that I have some amazing worksheets here. Yeah, yeah. And so you're just not going to know your first draft. So I have give you some prompts, like a little thing that bumped into your leg in Galveston water. You can pull it out of the water and look at it and go, <laughs> oh, that's what that is. 
So I think you're one of the things you're saying is that this time of life kind of requires some self-reflection. Like yes. if we really want to make that transition from the first draft of motherhood to the second draft, we're going to have to do some work. And that work is going to involve a little bit of soul searching, a little bit of self-reflection. Is that is that what you're saying? Yes, that is what I'm saying. I think our first impulse is to avoid the story, to avoid the first draft. We're in these negative feelings, but we don't want to face them. So mm -hmm. what do moms like to do? We love our wine. I love Chardonnay. Mm -hmm. I, I like Pinot Noir. <laughs> um, <laughs> but we, we go to that instead of actually looking at what that first draft story is. Right. Or we go on a great trip or... We find something else to distract us and take up our time because yeah. self-reflection is hard, isn't it? It is. But it is the way through. I mean, I think that's important to say, you know, that we're talking about trying to get to a happier, more contented, more whole perspective Yes. on your parenting. And so it's necessary to do some of that work, but the payoff is pretty good. The payoff is really great. I can guarantee that if you don't do this work, you will feel sad or miserable or resentful. And you're just going to numb, try to numb that feeling. And that's the best you're going to have. Yeah. I give you three prompts, like what was hard about parenting your daughter and where were you disappointed? Mm. So here's what I want to say. I was actually talking to a mom who has a 20 year old daughter and oh my goodness, I could see what was under the surface because she was saying, you know, you know, there, there's moms out there. They just get everything right and they just love it. And it's just, it's just so easy for them. Mm -hmm. So you could hear like the shadow side of that is I feel terrible about who I am as a mom. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure I did it right. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, Sherry, you can tell me different, but I just think it's hard for everyone. Yeah. Parenting a teen is hard for everyone. And every mom has disappointments. Wouldn't you Absolutely. agree? Absolutely. I mean, you know, if we go back to the idea that we're doing this without an owner's manual or a playbook, we're naturally just going to make mistakes. And if we spend our later years thinking about all the things that we could have done differently or better, that is definitely a recipe for misery, don't you think? Yes, yes. I mean, I could think we could probably all call up our, our top 10 big mistakes of parenting. Yes. I think I said this in a previous podcast, but it's one of my things I say, thank goodness kids don't require that kind of perfect parenting. You know, they just don't. Otherwise, yeah. none of them would make it. Nobody's perfect at parenting. And they're very forgiving when you own it. That's they true. say, okay, that's okay, mom. It's yeah. when we don't own it that they just get riled up. That's right. That's right. If we're not honest with ourselves or with them about, yeah, I did some things wrong, you know, we have, we don't have those healing conversations if we're not willing to be honest, right? Mm -hmm. One of the prompts too is where do you beat yourself up? Mm -hmm. And I think if we don't look at this, so where do you beat yourself up? And also is where do you beat your daughter up? Because I think we can go into a spin cycle of shame and judgment. Mm -hmm. Just mm -hmm. imagine those clothes going round and round. So it's, mm -hmm. you know, shame, judgment, shame, judgment. Mm -hmm. 
back and forth and back and forth. And then another prompt is just forgiving yourself and forgiving your daughter, but you have to name it to be able to forgive yourself. And you have to name that thing that you're really angry about with your daughter before you can forgive her. What I really love about the first draft, the first draft is super useful because it can really help us have compassion on ourselves and our daughters. Mm -hmm. And it was hard. Those things are hard. Those things aren't you feeling sorry for yourself. Those were really some heart wrenching disappointments. That was hard. And and Sherry, I know you'll agree with this. I mean, so many moms are wanting validation from other people Mm -hmm. to say it was hard. You have given so much. Mm -hmm. And most moms don't get it. Mm -hmm. But here's the thing. We need to give it to ourselves. Mm -hmm. And the first draft, when we write it out and we're in Galveston water and we're taking these things out of the water and we're naming them is then we can give it to ourselves and we can look at this. Oh my gosh, those are a lot of disappointments. I thought my daughter was going this way and this is what happened. I thought my marriage was going this way and this is what happened. Or even with my health, I thought my health wouldn't be going this way and this is what happened. Mm -hmm. And it was hard. And I'm going to give myself compassion and validation for what I have gone through. I love that because I think sometimes people feel like they're at such a loss of what do I do now that my kids are gone? What do I do? And just suggesting that you do some reflecting and that you do some validating and you develop some compassion for yourself and what you've just been through is a really nice kind of task, kind of a to-do when someone's feeling at a loss of what do I do now? It's just kind of that pause between what you've just completed and what's ahead. Like give yourself a little pause to reflect and think about what you've just been through. It's very similar to having a baby and instantly being a mother. Like give yourself a little time to get used to this. Yes. You know, and I think that's not part of the conversation of launching right now. There's a lot of posting about my kids' accomplishments. So somehow you'll think that I was a good mom because they're doing so well, which we know is a myth. Yes. And yes. Or we're going on a trip around the world to celebrate, you know, or somehow super happy that we're empty nesters, which I think is not always the truth. Right. Or we're jumping right back into work. And none of those things are bad. It's just like there's still a little space there between the new stuff. You even talk about it as the second draft. There is another story to come. And yes, and let's talk about the second draft after you've given yourself space to have that little transition reflecting time. Yeah. Yeah. So the second draft isn't saying, gosh, mom, you were a drama queen for thinking that you had all those things in the first draft. It's really embracing those truths. But the difference is, is it doesn't veer towards resentment. It veers towards growth and expansion. And here's what's key. Your daughter is expanding and you don't want to get stuck in a resentment story. You want to veer towards expansion yourself. Second draft is actually the conscious story. Now everything's out of Galveston water and it's on the sand. (laughs) We're looking at it. (laughs) So Sherry can totally picture this. (laughs) 
Some of it's beautiful, some of it's not. Right. But now we can actually write a story about it. And the truth is, mom, is that you are not the same person that you were way back when you first had that baby. And the second draft is really that you've gained more than you've lost. Mm. What's an example of something we've gained? Yeah. So some of the prompts that I use help you get to that. So Mm. one of the prompts is what hats did you wear as you parented and managed your life, work and household? And Mm. what have you done well? Mm. Love that. Yeah. So for example, okay, well, let me just ask you, what were some of the hats that you wore when you were a mom of a teen? Oh, well, definitely a chauffeur. (laughs) Um, a cook, uh, kind of a cop, (laughs) definitely an advisor. Yeah. A lot of different roles, you know, sometimes a confidant, but a lot of times kind of a, a monitor, like you said, or is everything done? Are the uniforms clean? Do you need to do some laundry? Have you checked your syllabus? (laughs) Have you studied for that test? Yeah. And it goes beyond. So now when we're in the second draft, it's not just our identity as a mom. Then it's like, what other hats did I wear? Well, you, you were a therapist. You started the Center for Postpartum Family Health. That's what you started. Yes, that's what you started. (laughs) And you grew professionally. And you have a relationship with your husband and with your family and all sorts of things. So I'm going to go back to appreciation is I think that is one of the wounds that moms carry is just not feeling appreciated for all that we've done. Mm -hmm. These prompts in the second draft is like, girlfriend, you just go for it. Here are all the things that I do. Like, look at all these hats I've done. Give it to yourself. Yeah, we're going to give it to ourselves. You are pretty awesome. You did all these things. Right. Right. And focusing on the accomplishments rather than the shortcomings, because that's where we always go, right? We're just like, oh, the things I should have done, I could have, should have, you know. And so it takes some real conscious effort to say, I did a lot. We got through a lot and everybody is still standing or Mm -hmm. everybody's doing pretty well or our relationship is still good. You know, let's value that. And not just focus on the things that we didn't do right. Right. Our lives when we are parents of teens is not a puzzle with 12 pieces in it. You know, it's one of those puzzles that have 5,000 pieces in it. (laughs) And like that is something to congratulate ourselves. Like we did a 5,000 piece puzzle. Yeah. That's pretty amazing. So all those little pieces our little aspects of what we did, you know, of all the, you know, taking one kid to baseball practice and another to dance and another to soccer. And then we have work. And then our husbands wants us to do something like there's so many hats and then people have to eat and your home has to look a certain way. Yeah. Right. All of that. Yeah. And There are also interpersonal skills that you hone when you're parenting your daughter. 
some of the skills are like organizer, protector, counselor, manager, event planner, problem solver, leader, mm -hmm. disciplinarian, cooking, diplomacy, negotiator, mm -hmm. encourager, <laughs> strategist, innovator, investigator. Yeah. But some of the other things are like qualities. Like, I don't know about you, Sherry, but I am a better human being because of being a mom. Mm -hmm. You yeah. know? Yeah. Why do you say that? Well, you know, because I've grown, I've grown from just thinking about myself to mm -hmm. thinking about another person. Mm -hmm. I'm more compassionate. I'm stronger. Mm -hmm. You know, I had a very strong daughter and I couldn't just let her mow over me. Mm -hmm. So I learned how to be strong. Mm -hmm. I have a stronger faith. Mm -hmm. I love that. You have grown from the experience. Yes. <clears throat> which is a very positive perspective rather than what you were talking about earlier, which is I have lost from the experience or mm -hmm. I have, mm -hmm. it's taken away more from me than I've gained, you know. Yes. How about so you? That, what would you say? Some qualities that you developed? Yeah, I think I definitely grew in my understanding of just people and myself. Like there was a lot of times that we had to make decisions and I would think about what's going to be best for them in terms of their development as a human being, rather than just what's going to get them an A. And so I don't know if it's wisdom. I don't know if I would say I gained wisdom, but I think I definitely was forced to look at kind of long-term consequences for decision-making rather than just putting out a fire in the short term. Yeah. I also think that the skill of helping our kids navigate the complexities of peer relationships when they're teenagers is mm -hmm. something I don't think I would have had any clue about and that you just kind of get better at as it goes, right? The yeah. kind of the reframing of how relationships change and how friendships can be fluid and how you can move forward when mm -hmm. there's an ending how you can start building a new relationship. You know, just like the relationship skills are, are immense. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, what I learned in family therapy school was not necessarily what worked with parenting teenagers. Yes. So are you a better therapist having been a mom? Oh, for sure. For sure. I mean, I'm like you. I think I had a lot more know-it-all. <laughs> kind of, you know, it's the great humbling experience to, yes. to parent and just be like, I, you know, I was a much better parent coach when I didn't have kids. Now I'm just <laughs> kind of like, yeah, it's tough. <laughs> right. Well, here's the thing. Yeah. So some of the qualities I've seen that moms have grown in is like compassion mm -hmm. and intuition and wisdom mm -hmm. and being more loving and kind and warm mm -hmm. and joyful and steady and grounded, playful, fun and peaceful, energetic, mm -hmm. calm, strong, determined, perseverance, grit mm -hmm. is a big one. Mm -hmm. And empathic, you know, and fierce. <laughs> You know, yeah, I mean, that whole mama bear idea you definitely feel that at times when your kids are going through tough times and you learn to speak up when you need to, yeah, yeah. And often, these qualities and skills do transfer into the workplace, and you don't have to be just a therapist, not just a therapist, 
Um, <laughs> I shouldn't say just a therapist to be like in a, you know, people business. Yeah. But even, okay, let's think about that. And I wrote this in my book. So even if you are in the business world as a manager or in sales, mm-hmm. if you can communicate with a teenage daughter, you're going to be pretty good at sales. Totally. There's a lot of closing the deal that happens with teenagers. You're going to have some good, like you could be an arbitrator, a negotiator, Uh uh because who is going to be harder than your own teenage daughter? Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah. An organizer, an encourager. There are many, many skills that translate to the workplace. So it's not like you've just been out of the workplace for 20 years. You're actually still developing skills and talents that can be used or applied in different ways. Yeah, it's directly applicable. So when you think about human resources or the manager with employees, Mm -hmm. that's going to be a piece of cake because you can actually fire an employee and you cannot fire your daughter. (laughs) (laughs) True, true. You talk about something in the book, The Grinding Wheel. Yes, yes. I wondered if you could explain (laughs) what you mean by that. What is the grinding wheel? (laughs) Yes, so I talk about how you can find the gold and the good, and that's some of the qualities and skills we were just talking about, but you can also find gold in the heart. In wisdom literature, there is a verse that says, it takes a grinding wheel to sharpen a blade, and so one person sharpens the character of another. Now, I think this is hilarious. I've never seen a grinding wheel on a vision board. (laughs) The grinding wheel, as you think of it, like you think of this wheels going around and someone's putting a blade to it, and what do you see? You see the sparks. It's like a real grinding, and sparks are flying, and that sounds a little bit like parenting a teenager, And so we have definitely been the grinding wheel for our teenagers and helped sharpen them. But one day it hit me is it's both ways Mm -hmm. that my daughter is probably the best grinding wheel in the whole world for me Mm. because I can kind of distance my way from my good friends or, you know, like you can like who else can do that so well? They're so good at it. Because they're also female, they're very intuitive and really can zone in on you and your stuff. Mm -hmm. So my daughter has been an amazing grinding wheel for me. And it's not a pleasant experience. A reframing of the first draft. The first draft is the hard is taking us out. The second draft is the hard has sharpened us. That's good. And I would say that, um, I know you don't have a boy, but that sons are also (laughs) grinding wheels. (laughs) And that almost developmental step of confronting your parents and kind of saying, hey, you know, I see it differently, or I have a couple of things I want to say to you, you know, that that is a really hard, but good developmental stage for a child to get to. And I also think that if an adult child feels safe enough to do that, that speaks to your relationship. 
that they're going to come to you with some difficult things, but they know that you can take it and our relationship can take it. I mean, there are confrontations sometimes that lead to a split, right? So I'm not saying that doesn't happen, but it just seems like if a kid decides that they have some things they need to say to a parent and they're going to do it, it is for the purpose of continuing relationship. Yes. Rather than usually then a cutoff because it's real easy to distance yourself from a parent. You can just be busy enough with your own life that you never confront it. Yeah. So that says a lot about you, Sherry, that you allowed him to be a grinding wheel for you because it isn't a pleasant experience for anybody, but it is good for the relationship. And for those of you who are listening, who haven't listened to our podcast that Sherry and I did the art of a healing conversation, I would encourage you to go back and listen to that episode. Mm -hmm. The grinding wheel sometimes comes from a traumatic event because trauma happens. But if you can see that even a traumatic event, that something good can come out of that. Mm -hmm. But I think a lot of times that the grinding wheel is just more chronic it's mm-hmm. the the arguing, disrespect, entitlement, like mm-hmm. I, diff- I have a different opinion than you do, mm-hmm. or why should I come home at midnight mm-hmm. sorts of conversations. Yeah, I was just going to say, I think the grinding wheel gets better as they get older. I mean, you can both kind of move away from that once they are fully launched and kind of having their own lives because yes. there's no reason to be grinding against each other. No. And you can enjoy each other a lot more if you're not grinding against each other with conflict all the time. You know, it's like you can let that be a part of the old story. (laughs) (laughs) So why do you think the second draft is so important? Why is this something we need to pay attention to? It is so important because we're going to go back to the mom story. You can't have a holistic mom story without the second draft. The first draft is a reactive story. The second draft is an intentional story. And the second draft is important because it's true. It debunks the big myth that you haven't done any work or gained any marketable skills in the last 20 years. It frees you from any leftover mother shame or trauma. It helps you own all of your heroine's journey. And I do think we are on one of those as mothers. And because you've traveled dark and treacherous terrain and have come through it loaded with lots of gold. (laughs) It gives you peace and contentment knowing that everything you did mattered. It gives you a humble and embodied confidence and knowing. And it expands your heart and compassion for others. (laughs) So I think a key part of this second draft is you really do want to write this out. Mm -hmm. I again have some worksheets for that in my book. Mm -hmm. And this is something that you feel like, Oh, I don't have time for, but I can't tell you moms how important it is for you to create your mom story and not be dependent on anybody else to shape your story. Mm -hmm. Own your story, moms. Mm -hmm. That's so good. And, you know, it just occurs to me that if someone's a big part of their story is that they're a nurturer and they're good at nurturing kids and they're good at, you know, loving on kids or whatever, that 
just because your own kids are grown doesn't mean that those skills aren't needed. And this is something you've said, use those nurturing skills or instincts to better the world. Yes. There's a lot of hurting people and kids even out there that need your nurturing. And so if you feel like that's your identity, I'm a nurturer, I love kids, I'm good loving on kids or whatever you, however you describe that, just because your kids are grown and don't really need or want that from you doesn't mean that there's not a place for that in the world. Right. And so we go back to whole identity part of being a mom. And so now what I would say is you're not really leaving being a mother. It's just expanded. Like think of you as a mother has just expanded and your arms embrace the whole world. The big myth is really a detriment to you and to the world. Mm. Because we all, like the mother's heart is what's needed to heal this planet. Mm. You know, for Mm -hmm. the school shootings and all the things we hear in the news, we have that mother's heart. Mm -hmm. So I remember, Sherry, that when you moved to Tucson, you started volunteering, right? Mm -hmm. You want to say what you did? Yeah, I was teaching English to some immigrant families, some immigrant mothers that had been relocated to Tucson because they were coming from war-torn countries in the Middle East and in Africa, and they didn't know any English. And this program was set in around a, a public school where a lot of these kids were going to school. So they would drop off their kids to go to school, and then the moms would gather and they still do. I'm not involved right now directly, but they would gather and have English lessons with these volunteers so they could also learn about the language, but also the culture and how to acclimate and how to shop and how to communicate with teachers and neighbors and and all of that. And it was a really sweet time of building community. But it was a nurturing experience, and it did feel like it was utilizing some of the skills that I had honed as a parent. It was fun. It was a good way to give back. And there are hundreds of different things that people can do. There's, Like you said, the world needs the nurturing spirit, and there are orphanages, there are reading programs, there are kids that need mentors, kids that are in foster care. You know, there's great needs in this world. And so your life isn't over just because your kids have grown, right? Right. And this is very important. If you're stuck in the first draft, you're going to be grasping on to a role that really doesn't exist anymore. And you can get stuck in a real controlling place. And if you are kind of that controlling mom that wants to control their daughter and then trying to control eventually their spouse and then eventually try to control the grandchildren, it will not go well. And you will not be close to your kids. In fact, that is the biggest, fastest way to have a big gulf between you and your daughter. So the way that you actually draw your daughter close is that you do something interesting and you share that with her. Because I bet just even the story of what you did, Sherry, like brought you and your daughter closer. Yeah, I think they thought it was pretty awesome that I was doing something new. Yeah. 
I love that. I think this is so important. I think it's such an important part of your book. Yeah. All right, moms, if you have not yet bought Dial Up the Dream, Make Your Daughter's Journey to Adulthood the Best for Both of You, I think this is the perfect time because I know May was crazy and y'all had all your graduations and who has time to read. But today in June or this summer would be the perfect time to read Dial Up the Dream. Beach read. It's a great vacation read because you also have some journaling and prompts and create space for that transition time. Yes. Yes. So good. So good. Well, thank you, Colleen. Thanks for letting me share your podcast again. I love it. Well, thank you, Sherry. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. This concludes this week's episode of Power Your Parenting Moms of Teens podcast. If this podcast has been helpful, I would absolutely love it if you could go to Apple Podcasts and leave a five-star review. This makes it easier for other moms like you to find the support and encouragement they need. Also, my award-winning best-selling books, Dow Down the Drama, Reducing Conflict, Reconnecting with Your Teenage Daughter, and my newest release book, Dial Up the Dream, Making Your Daughter's Journey to Adulthood the Best for Both of You. You can find both of these books wherever books are sold. And you can find other great resources and contact me at ColleenOGrady.com. And that has two L's and two E's. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.